20-year-old Matthew was exploring the new town he'd been stationed in as part of his army training. It was his very first night out with his colleagues, who he considered his close friends. But the night ended with Matthew becoming separated from his friends and wandering through the streets alone. But he wasn't totally alone. A man he didn't know had spotted him. And just a few hours earlier, that same man had boldly threatened that he was out to kill. This is Red Rum, stories about the true victims of crime. This show is made from various source documents listed in the show notes. I use news archives, documentary footage, and court documents, and so the episodes are accurate to the source materials I can find. You can find every episode also as a podcast version in the description box below. Private Matthew Boyd was born in Northern Ireland and his family had moved to Gibraltar where he ended up growing up. Now as he got older, he knew exactly what he wanted to do with his life. He wanted to join the army and become a soldier and so he travelled and joined the Royal Gibraltar Regiment. Matthew was a lively character. He was always playing jokes and pranks on his friends and his family and his colleagues and he was well liked by just about everybody who knew him. His family described him as being loving and caring and loyal. In May 2016, he completed a tour of Northern Ireland and then Matthew was sent to Steny Bridge Training Centre, which is the third largest military training area in the UK. And it is set in a beautiful area of the Brecon Beacons National Park and near to Brecon, which is this market town in mid Wales that he was settling into and beginning to find his feet there. To really give you a picture of this story and what Matthew was faced with on that night, I have to take you to another person and introduce you to 23-year-old Jake Vallelay. Now, Jake was a 23-year-old amateur boxer and he was born in Aldershot in Hampshire but had relocated to Brecon. His father, who was in the Parachute Regiment, died when Jake was just a baby and that's when his family had moved to Brecon when he was quite young. Jake didn't follow in his father's footsteps and join the army but instead he worked as a framer at an independent art gallery, Ardent Gallery in Brecon. Away from this day job, he played football for Brecon Town FC, which he said that he did that just to fit in. And on top of this, he also joined this boxing club and he was good. He'd competed in middleweight championships in that category. And his coach had been quoted as saying that he was rated as one of the top 10 middleweight amateurs in Wales. Jake juggled all of this alongside having a 15 month old daughter. He wasn't romantically involved with the mum anymore, but he still went to see her and occasionally would stay the night at her house so that he could see more of his daughter. And that's just what happened on the evening of the 7th of May 2016. Now the following day was a Sunday and Jake left the house to play football for Brecon Football Club. After that match had finished, Jake showered, got ready and went out to the boar's head to find his teammates just after 5pm and have a drink with them. At the same time, Matthew Boyd, who was by now off duty, was watching sport and drinking with other soldiers at Sarah Siddons Inn. This was just a short distance away from where Jake was also drinking. 
This was his first trip out, Matthew's first trip out in Brecon, and he wanted to see what the town offered and wanted to have a good night out. And by 7pm, Jacob met up with his friends and they'd all moved on to Rourke's Drift pub, which was just down a few a few buildings. There had been quite a good atmosphere in the pub. That was until Jake and his friend came in. That's when things started to go downhill. Jake, who was fueled by alcohol, was turning nasty. He turned on a woman that he didn't know in the pub and he started shouting at her and swearing at her before lunging at her. He called her a, quote, heifer and told her that he had raped better than her. When she mentioned that she had a boyfriend, Jake said that he was out to kill. He said, or shouted, quote, who's your boyfriend? I'll kill him. I'm the hardest effing man in Brecon. At that point, he's obviously making quite a fuss and making quite a lot of noise. And so he was thrown out of that pub and told he wasn't allowed to come back in. The doorman who who threw him out would later describe his behaviour as, quote, loud and obnoxious. So Jake was thrown out and his friend followed shortly after. We know that the pair had been drinking for a while. And so by now, both of them were not only drunk, but also hungry. And so they decided to head to a kebab shop where they waited for their order to come. While they were there, the woman that Jake had previously insulted had left the pub and walked past that nearby kebab shop. Now, when Jake saw her passing by, he began smirking and laughing and taunting her, trying to get at her as she hurried past. After that, the pair ate their kebab and then they headed back to that previous pub that they'd just been kicked out of. Now, somehow they did manage to get back inside, but they were only there for a short while before again being thrown out because of their behaviour. And so after that, they just wandered round for a bit and eventually tried for a third time to get back in. But by now, the door staff knew exactly who he was and they weren't going to let him in. They told him he would have to find somewhere else to drink. Angry and agitated, Jake and his friend managed to get into a bar called Harley's Bar, where they continued drinking. Jake thought that it would be really funny to start ripping up some of the cocktail menus with his teeth. And of course, on seeing this, the door staff at that bar wanted to kick him out and they described his behaviour as awful and described him as like an idiot, which I would 100% agree with. By now, Jake's friend was apologising for Jake's behaviour, but it was no good. The door staff had seen this happening and so they threw Jake and his friend out of Harley's bar. After this, time was getting on and it was just after midnight when Jake and his friend walked into another bar, this time Cellar Bar. Jake was by now very drunk and extremely rowdy. During this time, Matthew had somehow become separated from the other squaddies and wandered into that same bar, into Cellar Bar, at 12.20am. He was thinking that perhaps his mates might be in there and he could catch up with them and they could continue the night on. But Jake and his friend were near the door as Matthew walked in, and despite neither of them knowing each other, Jake held out his hand and clasped into a fist, which Matthew then fist-bumped as he walked past. Now, Matthew, who by now was a little drunk himself, 
sat quietly in the bar and seemed to people around him as though he was a little sad. This was what was later described as his demeanour. But alongside that, he was described as being very calm and friendly to those around him and to the bar staff. This was Matthew's first night out in a new town. He'd lost all of his mates and he didn't know anyone. Alongside this, back in that same bar, Jake and his friend decided that they wanted to go for a smoke. And so they went outside at 12.40 a.m. And they're seen standing in a nearby shop doorway in Lyon Street. Back at Cellar Bar, Matthew is still sitting there looking at his watch and it's likely that he decided he'd better get back, get back to where he was staying that night. And so he finished his drink, got up and walked out of the bar. To get out of the bar and go back to where he was staying, he would have had to head along Lion Street. And as he did that, he passed Jake and his mate standing this doorway. One of them, we're not sure who, but one of them shouted at Matthew as he walked down the street. And Matthew turned around and walked calmly up to Jake and his friend and spoke to them. We don't know exactly what was said, but whatever it was, as Matthew turned to go, Jake blocked his path and just stopped him from walking away. Matthew probably didn't want any trouble. He was a representative of the Royal Gibraltar Regiment and they had just arrived into this new town and he would have known that he could be identified as being part of that. He dodged around the now aggressive Jake and started to run down the street to get away. At this point, it's reported that residents were woken by the sound of Jake's shouting as he chased Matthew along the street. And meanwhile, CCTV is recording everything that's happening on this street and the surrounding areas. And it tracks Jake catching up to Matthew as he reached the Guildhall. And he grabbed Matthew and he started punching him. We know Matthew is an able, strong young soldier. He's been selected for his physical fitness and strength. And he was faced with another young man in his prime who we know regularly trained as a boxer and was thought to be one of the top 10 amateur boxers in Wales. So we know that he's incredibly strong and is able to fight. Matthew was hit with two sharp punches to the face. The power in those punches was strong enough to actually send Matthew from standing all the way down to the floor where Jake then continued to punch him and to punch his face specifically. The force of this boxer's punches hit Matthew's face not once, not twice, but again and again and again. The CCTV caught the gruesome 47 seconds that that attack took place and it showed Jake punching Matthew's head seven times in total. All this time, Matthew just lay motionless on the ground, apart from the movements that his head and torso made as each punch reined in. After Jake had finished punching him, he started kicking Matthew as well. Once Jake was sure that Matthew wasn't going to move again, he casually jogged back to cellar bar and decided that he had more drinking to do, and so ordered some more drinks and just carried on the night as if nothing had happened. And meanwhile, Matthew is lying on the ground in the dark, alone, 
until someone coming home from one of the bars saw him and the sight of the damage done to Matthew meant that that passerby immediately knew this was serious and called the police and an ambulance and the police eventually arrived at 1.05 a.m. Matthew was not breathing as far as the officers could see and they gave him CPR until the paramedics arrived at 1.13 a.m. and they took Matthew to Neville Hall Hospital. But Matthew never woke up and he was pronounced dead at 2.40 a.m. As Jake was finishing his drinking, he heard that the emergency services were at Guild Hall and so he had to think of an excuse for what had happened. It was almost certain he would be identified from the surrounding CCTV as the person who actually assaulted Matthew. So, in light of this, he had sent text messages to various friends in the hours after the attack, trying to sort of minimise his behaviour and minimise the fight that he had had with Matthew. He typed, quote, but that little fight surely couldn't warrant that. The only thing that I can think is that he's fallen and hit his head or got run over. Is there CCTV down that street? I just ragged him on the floor a bit. Nothing serious. Wasn't even a beating like. Jake stayed the night at the house of his mate's girlfriend and then the next morning at 7.30am he left to go to work. To get to work he actually had to pass the place where he had brutally beaten Matthew to death. And as he walked by, he would have seen the police tape cordoning off the area with police officers standing all around, still investigating the crime. Jake then started to text his cousin, telling him, quote, we're going down if he's that bad and I need to get out of this shirt, it's got blood on it. When Jake arrived at work, he changed out of his bloodstained t-shirt for a clean one and he stuffed that t-shirt down the back of some drawers at the gallery. Jake started work, but he knew he was in trouble. And so it's at this point that he calls his boxing coach, who happened to also be a police officer. And Jake spoke about what had happened. And after talking to him, he left the gallery and then walked straight to Brecon Police Station, where he did hand himself in at 11.50 a.m. And then he was formally arrested. Police immediately went to the gallery where Jake worked and they began to search the premises. Now, Jake claimed that he had gone up to the top floor of the three-storey gallery to get a better view of the police cordon, which was just down below. And whilst the officers were there, one of them spotted something behind a chest of drawers on that third floor. And they pulled it out and they realised that it was Jake's white polo shirt, except it very clearly was not white anymore. Instead, it was stained, it was covered in blood. Jake had some explaining to do, but he had his story ready. The blood on the t-shirt was his own blood, caused, he said, by a boxing injury. And he just changed it at work because he said, quote, it didn't look good. The problem for Jake was that the police sent this polo shirt to be analysed. Of course they did. And those results came back pretty quickly and they showed that the blood was partially from Jake, but it was also partially from Matthew. And so his story about it being from a boxing fight made no sense. The police also found a pair of Jake's trainers and on those trainers there were specks of blood. That blood was analysed and it was also found to have been Matthew's. Jake was in custody and he was being interviewed quite regularly to establish exactly what had happened that night. 
Jake had to make up a sequence of events that showed that he had not murdered Matthew. Now, if he could do this, then the worst that they would be able to charge him with would be manslaughter. So Jake tried to turn things around to show that he was the one being attacked by Matthew, that he was the victim and that he was only defending himself in all of this. He had no choice. And so with that in mind, this is the version of events that he says happened that night. And I'm gonna tell you it how Jake told it. So this is obviously not what happened, but this is what Jake said happened. Jake and his friend were sheltering from rain in a doorway outside the cellar pub in Breckentown Centre when Matthew, who was walking past and was clearly very drunk, used a glass that he had in his hand and threw it at them for no reason, just decided to do this. Now an argument broke out between the three men and Jake said that his friend and Matthew had started to push and shove each other, again removing himself and his responsibility from the situation. Jake says that he then intervened and separated the pair, but that Matthew punched him in the back of the head. And so in response to this, he says he chased Matthew to grab him and ask him what he was doing, quote, not to fight him. But allegedly, or he says that Matthew started to fight with him, quote, because he thought I would start on him. He obviously thought I was going to throw a punch, but I was going to shout at him, basically. Jake then punched Matthew because he grabbed his legs and wanted to get away from Matthew. Quote, it was a scuffle. He said, we were holding each other throughout. He went to the floor and had hold of me. I didn't kick him. I was shouting to say let go and I punched him until he did so I could get away from him. I panicked because I thought I hurt him. I don't know how he was when I left him. I don't know if he was unconscious or not. Jake said that he was worried when he saw the area cordoned off later and sent a text message to a friend saying, quote, I literally only hit him once or twice after he'd swung for me. So he's already planning his alibi. He's already planning what he's going to say and what he's going to lie about. The police interview then summed up Jake's statement by asking, quote, you ultimately deny assaulting him with the intention of murdering him. That wasn't your intention at all. End quote. But when the officer showed Jake the CCTV that covered that area, it told a whole different story. It showed that Jake very clearly threw the first and second punch, which sent Matthew spinning to the ground. And it showed that this was followed by a further brutal seven punches and the movement of Jake's leg in the direction of Matthew as though he was kicking him when he was already down and laying motionless. When asked by the police if he could identify himself in the CCTV footage, Jake confirmed that it was him, but he said it was not how he remembered it. But it, it wasn't as though Jake didn't realise the damage his punches could inflict. He'd attended talks on the responsibilities of being a boxer specifically who often uses punches, including the fact that the fist of a trained boxer was capable of causing death. He was well aware of what he was doing. Jake's trial started in November of 2016 and after three weeks on the 1st of December at Cardiff Crown Court, Jake was convicted of murder. He showed absolutely no emotion as the verdict was read out. 
and before sentencing, the judge heard of Jake's previous convictions, including battery against his girlfriend. The job of the defence barristers was to try and now get the sentence reduced to a minimum term. And so they addressed the judge and they argued that Jake's intention was to cause grievous bodily harm rather than to kill. And they also added that he was a relatively young age at the time of the offence. On top of this, they also suggested that Jake was besotted with his child, who was aged only 15 months, and that any kind of a lengthy sentence would harm their relationship. The judge also heard victim statements from people who cared about Matthew. So Matthew's mum, Michelle Rogers, said, quote, His life was taken in the blink of an eye. My son will not knock at my door again. There are times I text or call his mobile. I cry every night before I sleep, if I sleep. How can I explain the pain in my heart? It is unbearable. He has taken my son's life and destroyed our family. His stepfather, Jeremy Rogers, said, quote, I don't want the pain to go away because if the pain goes away, so will Matthew. And Matthew's 10-year-old sister, Katie, wrote him a letter saying, You are in heaven now and no one can hurt you. Jake listened to the victim impact statements with a blank expression on his face and with no obvious reaction. And so, on the 9th of December, Mr Justice Lewis sentenced Jake. The judge told Jake that he was absolutely sure that he was the aggressor that night, not Matthew, as Jake had previously claimed. He was sure that Jake had created the argument and that Matthew had not thrown a glass or punched Jake to the back of the head. Quote, You knew the danger of punching him. You're an amateur boxer and you know how to punch and also know the danger. You, however, were aggressive, confrontational and threatening that whole evening. You have shown no remorse for your actions and it is in my view you have shown no remorse since. Your sole concern has been to minimise your actions and escape the consequences. After hearing this, Jake nodded but otherwise barely reacted as Mr Justice Lewis handed him a life sentence with a minimum of 16 years in jail minus time already spent behind bars. But Jake didn't accept his sentence. Quite unsurprising, really. He instructed his lawyers to mount an appeal against what he saw as its severity. This man, boy, this boy, has literally killed another human being and he sees his 16-year minimum term as severe. Okay. So, sitting at Cardiff Crown Court... In July of 2017, the Court of Appeal did hear from Jake's barrister and they heard that the judge in the original case should not have increased the starting point for the minimum term from 15 years. And they said that this was because the attack was sustained and that certain points of mitigation were not properly reflected in that sentencing. They argued that this was a street fight that had lasted for a very short time and that there was a lack of premeditation, a mitigating feature they claimed was not reflected in the sentencing. The defence barrister did accept that his client was, quote, troublesome and, quote, argumentative in the hours before the attack, but said that he did not use any violence at that stage. The judges considered the defence barrister's argument, but they also noted that Jake had made a comment about raping a woman and killing her boyfriend just hours before the fatal attack. 
They also considered the sentencing guidelines for this type of attack and they did come to a final judgment that the sentence in the original trial was quote not manifestly excessive and that the judge approached the sentencing exercise correctly and so Jake's appeal failed. After the trial, Matthew's family issued a tribute, quote, during this trial it has been mentioned that Jake Vallely called himself the hardest man in Brecon on the night that he murdered Matthew. He couldn't have been more wrong. There has been such a massive outpouring of love from the community in Brecon towards our family. In our mind, those are the strongest people in Brecon. Thank you for watching or listening to this episode of Red Rum. I really appreciate you being here and for your case suggestions and for your book and film suggestions. I have got an amazing list and I'm making my way through. Anything that really stands out, I will let you know um, and recommend. I don't actually have any recommendations for this week. I've just started a new book, so I'll let you know if I enjoy that and if I'd recommend that. Um, also, shout out to my nail tech who, oh, it's probably going to be backwards on the video, but um, these say red rock which is so cool. Thanks Louise for doing that. Um, and on the other hand, we've got a little scream sticker that says, no, you hang up. Scream's my favorite film in the world. And a little, a little, I don't really know what that is. Pink ghoul. Anyway, I'll see you next week for another episode of Red Rum. Bye. <laughs>